Okay, friends, you can turn to the book of Acts. That's where we were last week. Um, we're going to be in two chapters, chapter um, 13 and chapter 20, but it will be on the screen. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you don't get there on your device, it will be on the screen too. If you're new, if, you're, if this is your first time with us, I'm Joel. I'm the lead pastor here at the tab, and thank you for taking the time out this Sunday morning to be with us. It means a lot to us, and I hope we have the opportunity to get to know you better. So at the risk of causing your eyes to glaze over, I want to review some things that we've talked about the last few weeks because I feel like this is a season where God is orienting our church to the next thing that he has called us to. Um, So I just want to remind you of some of the things that we've been talking about these last few weeks as, as we think about where God is leading the gospel tab. There's just a few things. The first thing here is this engagement pathway, which we keep putting up. And pretty soon, this engagement pathway is going to take physical shape in the foyer out here. And then when we multiply and relaunch the Franklin Avenue campus, we'll have some kind of equivalent down there as well. Um, But, you know, for the last 10 years, God has been um, restructuring us. And I think for some of those years, it really felt like there was a move of the Spirit happening here. But we didn't quite know where we were going or even what model our church was anymore. Um, Over those 10 years, some programs ended. Actually, most of our programs ended, um, and God was reorienting us towards mission. So if you look at the right-hand corner of this engagement pathway, you just kind of see three places where we are as a Gospel Tab family essentially uh, related to mission, which is what our whole church has become. Um, The first is our global family of sister churches and sister movements in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We've been connected to that movement Um, Ever since our church's founding 104 years ago, we're still connected um, all around the world. We have vital partnerships in the Middle East, in the Dominican Republic, um, in different places as God has led us to partner with some of our international workers. But then there's two local things that are happening here. Uh, One is the Greenhouse Lab. It's an incubator accelerator organization that has a physical space down on Franklin Avenue. Um, If you haven't gotten to see it yet, you should set up a time with John Jordan to see it. If you don't know who John Jordan is, he was playing guitar here, and he's right here, and he's back from sabbatical, which we celebrated last week. But we can do it again. Um, And so the Greenhouse Lab helps our neighbors start businesses of their own, uh, but we also help missional leaders start nonprofit organizations or businesses as mission or missional communities, which are essentially house churches. And so we started an organization to do that. The Greenhouse Network is this organic family of what we call missional outposts. Some of them are businesses, some of them are nonprofit organizations, some of them are missional communities, um, but all of them have a similar DNA of mission in their communities. Our network now has about 30 missional outposts from the east side of Pittsburgh extending into Ohio now. Um, Much of the network does not worship here at the Gospel Tab, but we are connected to that in a vital way because some of it sprung out of what we were experiencing here. Um, And some of it did not, by the way. Some of it, God was working without our involvement. Imagine that. And uh, we just got to join in and be part of it. But over the years, people have been like, well, how do I connect to all of this? And so this is not how you have to do it, but we just want to make a suggestion that this pathway kind of describes Um, a way that you can get connected as a visitor and then you can come to a partner class and learn more about our church and our beliefs 
And you can come to Grounded, which starts tonight. I just want to put an exclamation point on that again. Um, come and bring a friend. It is a great place for connection for the next few weeks. Um, it's just going to be a vital part of who we are. But then we, we're creating this discipleship ecosystem um, just to help invest in you. You know, here at the Gospel Tab, this is not about you volunteering in my thing and us saying that that's the sum of your discipleship. Like, that just cannot be it. You've heard me say this before. That cannot be why Jesus died for you and gave his spirit to you so that you could volunteer in my thing. Um, instead, we want to position ourselves to serve you as you hear God. And so this discipleship ecosystem is meant to give away whatever we can to you so that you can be a released disciple. God has a destiny for you outside of the gospel tabernacle. This is not the end of your discipleship. Um, and so, you know, God may use this in, in your life, but we would be happy if he released you, you know, outside of this as well. Um, and so last week I, I emphasized huddles. Let me just mention today the Freedom Center in that ecosystem. We all need healing. And part of, early on in our movement, part of our uh, experience with Jesus and being called on mission was that especially as he planted us in marginalized communities, um, we recognized our own poverty by getting near to the poverty of others. And we needed healing in ourselves. And so we've built some, some things now to offer that to you as well. So you can receive prayer from trained um, uh, prayer ministers. You can make an appointment with Pastor Steve um, you know, to um, receive healing prayer, inner healing prayer. We believe that God heals the sick. So if you have a physical thing that you want prayer for, um, you can do that. Sometimes part of our healing journey involves sending away um, uh, things that are demonic in origin. Um, if we let the Bible be our, our source of our worldview, how we see the world, we believe in these unseen realities. And so sometimes we just need people to pray with us and send some of those things away. We can arrange for that. And we also believe in professional counseling around here. And so, like, do you know this? Like, almost so many of your key leaders that you see here, um, professional counseling was part of their story. Um, it was part of my story, a big part of my story. So um, I encourage it. And we have some resources in therapy uh, that would just be really great for you as well. Um, and there's also, is, am I missing anything in the Freedom Center? Just pastoral counseling, anything else? But what I'm saying is we have some opportunities for you to receive healing and support, so please take those. Um, we want to encourage that in you, okay? Um, I just want to remind you that in February of 2022, likely, God willing, uh, we will be relaunching the Franklin Avenue campus. So between now and then, we're having these combined services um, we will relaunch on Franklin Avenue at the Community of Celebration probably at the end of February. I would ask you to be praying if God is calling you to be part of that launch team. We would love it if there were 30 adults that committed to that campus. When it launches, our worship services will be held simultaneously at 10 o'clock, but every eight weeks uh, we will come together for a big worship celebration. So when we relaunch in February, our first big celebration is going to be Easter of 2020, 2022. It's a lot of twos. Um, and, um, and so we will uh, gather together for that big Easter celebration. So uh, we'll be calling, giving you opportunities for commitment to that not too long. And lastly, for a bunch of reasons I've shared over the last few weeks, we just feel like God has given us these three words for this season, multiplication, regionalization, 
and generational transfer. Last week, I talked about multiplication. Can I encourage you? If you're invested, I feel a weightiness to these sermons that I don't always feel when I preach. Um, and so if you are invested here and you missed last week, um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, I think there's some things in it that are going to be important for us for coming years. And I think the same is true today as we talk about regionalization. So uh, we're going to keep looking at some stuff in Acts today. I'm going to keep this as brief as I can. We did some important things today, baptism and communion and worship. To me, that's where the gold is, you know. And my message today is really simple. So um, I'll try to keep it brief for you. Last week, just a quick review on multiplication. We said that multiplication is God's design for life on this planet. It's how he designed biological life, right, to multiply. Think about it. He could have done it by addition. He could have just keep, I don't know, dropping organic life onto the earth. But that's not how it happened. It happens through multiplication. And so we see that this is God's creative design. It's amazing because he actually includes the creation in creation, right? He actually includes us in the act of creating with him. We become co-workers with him in creation. And one of the marks of revival is bursts of creativity among God's people, right? Um, Is bursts of creativity among artists. Artists will be part of the revival that God is birthing here, right? Um, Because multiplication is how it works. Multiplication in the church, different than biological life, happens through sending, right? It is as we give away life, give away people, give away resources, give away what God has put into us in terms of spiritual DNA, that multiplication happens. Um, and I, we talked a lot, a lot last week about anxiety related to multiplication because I think all of these things that God is leading us into, multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer, have their own kind of visceral emotional journeys that we, we as a family on mission are going to have to deal with in a healthy way to get to the place where God is leading us to. And we were reading, we're about to read it again, where Paul and Barnabas are sent from the church in Antioch, and we were talking about the anxiety they must have felt doing something that's never been done before. So much of the movement we're experiencing, I don't know that there's very many textbooks on. We really are trying to learn as we go and and bend our ears for the voice of Jesus in it together and try to understand what he's doing. That can create some anxiety, though. We need to acknowledge that, um, create space for that in our stories and talk about it, you know, with each other. But there's also anxiety for the group or the person that is sending away, right? That's sending away Paul and Barnabas. It means that they're going to have to rise up into new spaces of leadership that are really uncomfortable, uh, that they have never done this before without Paul and Barnabas's leadership. That creates feelings of anxiety in them as well. And so I would say if you're in our movement in this season and you're feeling some anxiety as God is calling you into some new things or some things feel ambiguous, um, it's, it, I think it's how God is working among us right now. And if we can stick with him in that, he will expand our capacity um, to eventually be non-anxious in seasons and times when God is doing stuff we don't fully understand. And that's a capacity issue, right? God's increasing our capacity to carry his creative work on the earth. It's amazing that he would do that. I mean, he's, he's, he's wonderful. So good. All right, let me tell you some things that, that you may not be able to see. I don't know, but let me tell you some things I have seen in our movement. So now I'm not just talking the tab, talking the network as well. Some things that I have seen in recent months. A year ago, doors opened up for us in McKeesport. 
on the other side of the city. Some of you have been there walking the streets with us. We've been praying there um, for a year now. We've been prayer walking, particularly in a community called Crawford Village. Uh, we've already seen healings happen there. It feels like there's grace in the air for us to step into what God is doing. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, a few of us traveled uh, to Ohio to a camp in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, the Alliance had gathered there all of the missionaries from the Middle East that are working in some really challenging contexts with their families. Um, and the request was this, can you bring the gospel tab to these missionaries? Um, and they're in hard contexts. Some of them, their lives are on the line, and we just got to experience the Holy Spirit with them, cry with them, grieve with them, laugh with them, right? Um, there's an Arabic-speaking church just north of Pittsburgh. Steve had a meeting this week, and there's going to be a prayer gathering at that church in not too long where us, um, some of our friends from Dorseyville Alliance Church, and some of the leaders of this Arabic-speaking church are going to be seeking God for a greater harvest among Arabic-speaking people. Chelsea and I, um, at the beginning of the summer, maybe late spring, we went to go worship with them. Um, our whole family went. And uh, when I was there, they had 10 families, immigrant refugee families, that were present at a picnic there. This is a sister church of ours. Um, and they are from a people group that is one of the hardest to reach in the world. And there were 10 of these families there, none of them Christians, um, just enjoying this picnic as they're forming, you know, relationships. We get to be part of that story in prayer. The founder of that church, who Chelsea and I are going to get to hang out with in the next few days, we're going to be in D.C. with him at a conference. Um, he is here in Pittsburgh because twice Jesus appeared to him in a dream and told him that a harvest was coming among Arabic-speaking people in the Pittsburgh region and that he wanted him to, to be part of this. So he's come from Egypt to be part of this. In Egypt, he led a Presbyterian church that was like over 2,000 people. And now he's here in, in Pittsburgh because I guess that's what happens when Jesus appears to you in a dream. Um, um, I walked in here yesterday to see worship leaders from at least three or four different churches um, collaborating um, there's something regional happening with worship. Some of our worship team is going to get to lead at district conference when the churches, our sister churches in western Pennsylvania, gather together in a few weeks. Our worship DNA, our worship culture is spreading. Um, I got a text yesterday from a pastor in New Brighton asking if the network can be part of um, some things that are happening in a public housing community there. Some of you sitting here have just started the beginning of studying the the movement of Spanish-speaking people in our region, which is a newer reality in western Pennsylvania, but even in Beaver County, uh, with the construction of the Shell plant, our demographics are changing. We are welcoming that and asking what God wants us to do. We need Spanish-speaking workers, so please be praying for that. Um, I got a call last week uh, if, about the network being involved and some things that are developing in Steubenville, um, there is a church plant happening in Verona um, that some of you have already been able to walk beside. Uh, at the end of this month, there are going to be two church planters relocating here, um, and they are either going to be part of a church renewal project 
um, at a sister church of ours, or they'll be planting a new church in the Ohio Valley, but I'm going to get to introduce them to you in a few weeks. I'm just saying all of this to say, when we talk about multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer, I keep saying this. This is not some vision that's like, oh, here's the next thing we should do. I don't, there's nothing in us that's like, let's see how big we can be and how many missional outposts we can have. And I, I just feel like God dealt with all of that in our identity a long time ago. I'm uninterested in that. The Greenhouse Network, by the way, is kind of an invisible organization. Most of the people who are part of the network probably don't even know they're part of the network. I know that's confusing. I'll explain to you later. But, but the leaders, you know, kind of know they're part of the network. But many of the people they're discipling, they don't identify. They identify with that missional leader and that missional outpost. And that's the person reaching them and pastoring them. Um, we don't care about the Greenhouse Network's name being given. I think. And the reason regionalization is happening is because God keeps positioning us to just give away what we have in these other communities, and the more we do that, it's like the more blessing he pours out. I'm trying to understand it, frankly, because we didn't set out to do this. And I want to be clear, this is not like Pastor Joel getting on a speaking circuit or something. Most of these communities, I talk about going to them. I'm not standing in front of people and speaking. Um, We're serving missional leaders in those places. We're listening to them, crying with them giving our resources to them. Uh, I was in an environment recently where it felt like there was some competition between leaders to get on a conference, because you know this happens in the Christian world, sadly, like to get on a speaking circuit for these conferences. I have never been so uninterested in something in my life. Um, I d- maybe that's God calls other people to do that. I could care less about, being, about having visibility or being on some speaking circuit. I could care less about that. But where God is inviting us to give away what we have in communities that he loves, he's calling us into those places. And I don't think this is just for me and Chelsea. This is our movement. This is you, Gospel Tab. The longer this goes on, the more grace that's given for this, the more you're going to get to be part of these stories. And that's already happening. I think we're just at the beginning of it. So to try to understand what's happening, I think we should look at the scriptures. Um, And so... um, I, I think that's our, our safest source to understand what might be happening. And to do that, we've been looking at this church in Antioch. Antioch is a city north of Jerusalem. We said that Jerusalem in the south, after the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, had been characterized by addition as a sign of life. There were new believers being added daily. But last week, we said that Antioch, something different happened. Antioch's story came out of multiplication, that came out of persecution and suffering, actually. Um, And it multiplied. And then it was characterized even by the inclusion of leaders that may have been marginalized in Jerusalem, but had room to lead in Antioch, as as Barnabas particularly includes the Apostle Paul, who kind of wasn't trusted in Jerusalem because of his history of persecution um, before he met Jesus. Well, Antioch creates room for an unconventional leader because it's an unconventional church, and Jesus is doing something in this church. And so Antioch, for me, in recent months, it's been like, I need to understand what happened here, because this is some of what's happening to us. And Antioch's story is just kind of threaded throughout the whole book of Acts. So we read this last week in Acts 13.1. Just read it real quick. It says, Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, 
This is a listening community, people who can listen by the Spirit prophetically, people who are having dreams and words of knowledge, all this stuff. And teachers, people who are good at hearing the word, the word of the Lord in the written word, right? So prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. I said this last week, this is a culturally diverse group of leaders who are hearing God together, which to me sets them up for more accuracy. The more different a group of people is, and they're, they're together listening to the Lord, I actually think we hear God better. That's counterintuitive, but I think we hear him better. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the act of multiplication. Now, if you read for the rest of the book of Acts, you read about what this sending off looked like with Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and some others later on. And they're just chasing God in the Roman Empire. They end up in Iconium. If you have your Bible open, you can see it in Lystra and Derbe. Um, they end up back at Jerusalem, but then later on they end up in Macedonia because there's a dream that leads them there. And then Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth, Ephesus, and all of these cities, most of the book of Acts is describing the regionalization of a movement that a spark got lit in Antioch. And now they're all getting to participate. And by the way, Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch at different points. I think they come back to Antioch more than they come back to Jerusalem because Antioch gets them in a way that Jerusalem just might not be able to. Um, but Antioch gets them. They, they understand, you know, what's happening. They're a church that is on mission and experiencing multiplication. Um, but eventually, the Spirit of God starts to speak to Paul that he needs to go back to Jerusalem and that he's probably going to get arrested there. As a matter of fact, a prophet named Agabus ends up coming to Paul and saying, when you end up in Jerusalem, this is after years of doing ministry, he's like, when you end up in Jerusalem, your hands are going to be bound. And Paul receives this as the word of the Lord. And he understands that suffering is ahead of him. And the latter part of the book of Acts is really about Paul's imprisonment and suffering. Um, but before that prophet comes to him, Paul has a sense that something is shifting in his ministry and he wants to say some final words to people he really cares about. So one place in this regionalization that the spirit of God had really worked was in the ancient city of Ephesus. There were miracles that happened there. Lots of people came to faith in Jesus. And Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, wants to stop through and visit the elders, the overseers, in Ephesus because he has some words that he wants to share with them. And this is more in prayer than anything else, friends, but it is these words that I cannot get out of my spirit as I pray about us in regionalization. Um, so here it is, beginning in verse 23. I only know, this is Paul talking to the city, to the elders in Ephesus, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul's like, I don't know what's ahead, but I know this, that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. If you go back and read about like every city, there's some kind of emotional or physical hardship. Why is this the case? Why is regionalization 
such a hard thing? And why would God call us to such a hard thing? I just want to, I have three very, this is going to be so quick because I know we got to three points um, and one is wrong, I felt God tell me while I was worshiping, so I will correct it, all right? So, so the first one, hardship awaits us because the gospel confronts the idolatries of every tribe. That's why hardship awaits us. Can we just talk about culture just for a second? I just have something on my heart that I want to share with all of you. Um, there is evidence of God's grace in every culture, we are living in a time in American culture of unprecedented tribalization. People are forming tribes. The internet really empowered this. They're forming tribes around hobbies and cultural experiences and different kinds of identities. And, um, and they're forming tribes around these things. And we have to recognize that God's grace is already at work in all those places. Every, tri every tribe somehow evidences goodness of, of the grace of God before we ever showed up. And I think we have to become students of God's grace, where God's grace is showing up in the tribes that you would even consider to be an enemy because God's grace is at work there. But it's also true that every tribe has idolatries, things that it has replaced God with. Um, those idolatries can be ideas or aspirations. It can be physical possessions, but things that give that tribe ultimate meaning besides God himself. And what happens is, as we in love and humbly and weakness become part of a tribe of people and start to recognize that God's grace is at work among this tribe, you can't help it if Jesus is in you and living through you. We start to live in a way that uh, speaks prophetically to those idolatries. And here, here's the thing. Scripture teaches that these idolatries are demonically empowered, and so what that means is, as we start to live in a way that is contrary to the idolatries of a tribe, it gets that demonic presence stirred up. And, and very often in Paul's story, this turned into violence. Um, he became the recipient of violence. Why? Well, it's because these idolatries were being stirred up in this place. Now, can I just tell you something about recognizing idolatries in a tribe that is different than your own. You will always see a tribe that's different than you, a cultural tribe, a you know, political tribe. The tribe that's different than you, you will always see their idolatries clearer than you see your own. And one of the best ways to begin to identify idolatries in another tribe is to be on a thorough, deep journey with Jesus about our own idolatries. Otherwise, we will cling to our idolatries like they are right. We will mix them with our Bibles. We will mix them with our church experience. And then we, it's, it won't be the gospel that's confronting, um, you know, the idolatries of other tribes. It will just be our idolatries that are confronting the idolatries of other tribes. I, I want you to know right now, I'm talking to you like you are in a missionary seminary class because this is what God is calling us to, right? These are the things missionaries have to think about. These are the things missionaries have had to learn about that they can't just import their idolatries into another tribe. And friend, if I can just talk to you as a, as a pastor, I'm concerned for some of you and let me tell you why. It's because there are so many tribes out there right now vying for your allegiance. And, and what I'm about to say, I'm not saying to shame you at all, um, but I need to say it. You know, if 
If you consider yourself part of a tribe, either because that's what you identify with or you're on mission to it, and you can't really articulate or identify the idolatries that are present in that tribe, you're probably participating in the idolatry. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I'm saying we have to be on a journey for understanding where idolatries are showing up. Okay, so you're a Christian and you're a political conservative. You identify with that. That's fine. But what idolatries are present in conservatism? Can you answer that question? Because if you can't, you're probably participating in it. And there are things baked into conservative ideology that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus. You need to hear this. Okay, so you're a Christian and you're a liberal, progressive politics, and we are a politically mixed church. Okay, that's fine. But what idolatries are present in that system? Can you articulate it? Because if you can't, you're probably participating in it. Okay, you identify with the social justice tribe. It's great, I'm with you. But can you identify the idolatries present in some of what's being said? Because if you can't, you're probably participating in it. Okay, you're part of a tribe that surrounds a certain you know, political candidate or band or music genre or hobby or whatever, can you identify where idolatries show up and keep people in bondage in all those places? Because if you can't, you're probably participating in it. I'm not shaming you for what you don't know. I'm just telling you we have to be on a journey. We have to say, Jesus, where's the idolatries in the thing? And let me tell you, that happens with the tribe we identify with, but it also happens in the tribe we're on mission to because we really grow to love the people that God has called us to. We love this city that God has called us to. We love this group of people. We love this marginalized tribe. We love these hurting people. And love is a good thing, but the kind of love that conceals idolatry isn't love. We cannot help as we go on mission, as we begin to regionalize, that in every city there will be trouble because in every city the gospel confronts idolatry. You hear what I'm saying? All right. So hardship will come. And this is really just the last thing I want to say. I had some other points, but they're not as good as this thing I'm going to say right now. Why, why would we do this? Why, why at the gospel tab? Our, our worship rocks here. I love it. I'm, I like worship my face off up front here. Um, I love it. I, I need it. I just love it. And you all just let me act a fool. I just love it. Um, you know, our preaching is okay, I guess. <laughs> some of you are, are wonderful. Um, why wouldn't we just build a name for ourselves? Why wouldn't we just, I've had people come to me and say, you have such talented people. Why not let this grow? But why would we push this thing into multiplication and into regionalization? Why would we relocate the move of God here into hiddenness? Why would we relocate this into shyness, into modesty? Why would we take what God is doing here and relocate it into those places? It's because the best part of all of this is not completing submission. It is not talking about how many cities we're in. Please hear me. We cannot, we cannot replace how many butts and seats we have with how many missional outposts we have in cities as some kind of new empire of our greatness 
and how many people we're reaching. That would be so misguided. That, that cannot be what God is calling us to. There's only one reason we would embrace this kind of hardship, and it's because Jesus is this wonderful. He's just this good. Um, is Jake is still here? Is he here? Oh, thanks, bro. Can you come play? I had a pastor ask me yesterday. I was doing a training um, in Indiana, PA, yesterday with some pastors. I had a pastor who was very genuinely asked, just trying to love his people. Um, he genuinely asked, he said, Joel, it just seems like people are too busy. They're too invested in the things they're already invested in. Like, how, how do you get them, like, motivated, you know, to be involved in things? Well, I guess there's different ways you could do that. I, I, one of them is to, like, make the church really cool so you, like, want to give your life to it. But I just feel like that's such an impoverished thing to give your life to. Please don't give your life to the gospel tabernacle. Please don't give your life to me. Please. Like, you're worth so much more than that. Don't give your life to that. So I'm not really interested in marketing what we have here to convince you to be like part of this more or something. I'm just not interested in that. Um, but what if you got a glimpse of Jesus? <laughs> what if you saw how wonderful he is? What if you saw how full of love he is? What if you saw the hardship that he embraced for our sake that he looked at the tribes of the earth and said, I want to harvest from every one of those, from every one of those tribes in glory forever. I, I want them to be with me. What if we got a glimpse of that? When I told this pastor, I don't, I don't know if it was helpful or not, but I just said, people have to see Jesus because in all my ministry, People will only go so far for me or for a vision or a church or an engagement pathway or you'll only go so far, but you'll go to your death for Jesus. And this morning, I feel the Spirit of God on me to tell you that it's not even about me convincing you to give your life for Jesus. I'm saying you won't have to be convinced the more you see Him. You'll become crazy with love for this one and willing to give your life for Him. You will be willing to go to your death. And I'm asking in this season, if God is calling our church, not only to that as individuals, but as a church to say, God, what we have here at the Gospel Tab is great, but if you today asked for the death of this so that more tribes could be included in your plan, we would give it all up. We'd pack up our bags and go home. We'd be done. I'm not in it for the Gospel Tabernacle. I don't want you to be in it for the Gospel Tabernacle. I'm not in it for the Greenhouse Network. I don't want you to be in it for the Greenhouse Network. We're in it for Jesus. And as long as he sees fit to use these things, I'm in it with you in these things. But if he chooses to use someone else, John Wesley, the old revival preacher, circuit-riding revival preacher, the Methodism came out of, of the way the Spirit of God used him, the Methodist movement. He used to say, use me, God, or set me aside. I love that prayer because it's a prayer that empties ourselves of self-importance. God is calling us to a mission, but we are not so important to that mission that we are integral to it. Jesus is the one who backs up this mission with his own presence, with his own power, 
with his own grace. It is Jesus that will hold this together. And if we, Gospel Tab, I'm gonna say to you, I'll prophesy to you, the degree to which you are willing to spend yourself in this movement radically for what God is calling us to, we will get to be part of seeing so much harvest coming into the kingdom and our name won't be on any of it. But people's names will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. (laughs) I want to be part of that. I'll die with you for Jesus. I'll die with you for Jesus. And I want to invite you to die with me for Jesus. Just to spend this to the end. That's all. (laughs) Come on up. Kiara, Devontae, why don't you close us out? I love you guys. Thank you for letting me go long. weighty. Y'all feel the weight? All right, now that our conference is over. Okay. Oh. Glory to your name, God. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you what I heard. In Exodus 3, uh, this is when Moses is at the burning bush, and the Lord starts speaking to Moses and telling him some of the wonders that he's going to do. He reveals himself to Moses, and then after that, he starts telling him like what he's about to do with the Israelites, what he's about to send them into. Y'all familiar with this? If not, it's in Exodus 3. It's free to read. Um, so Moses immediately starts with all his excuses, like... I stutter. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't have these abilities. And then in chapter four, which is the part that I want to share with you today, um, God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And then Moses says, I have a staff in my hand because he's a shepherd. And the Lord says, take that staff, throw it to the ground. I'm going to make that into a sign that's going to deliver your people. He does the same thing with Moses' literal hand. Put your literal hand in your cloak. Take it out. That's going to be another sign. It's going to deliver the nations. And so I think the the exhortation to say yes to Jesus has already come out through what Joel said at the end. So the first step is to say yes to Jesus. And you got to take that step before you take any of the steps that I'm about to give you. So make that decision first. But after you made the decision to say yes to what Jesus is calling you to, I heard this in worship. I believe um, the Lord is asking us to begin to ask him, what do we have in our hand? I was watching us worship earlier today and I looked around and people were worshiping in so many different ways. Sometimes I don't know what to do in worship. So I just got the ribbon and I was like, this is what I have to give you. So I'm gonna give you all my good old waves, Jesus. Other people didn't grow up in a context that waves ribbon. So that's not what they feel like they have to give, but they have other opportunities, the other things that they have. I feel like God is saying, what do you have in your hand to give? And it's not about what your neighbor has to give because your neighbor's responsible for giving what they have. But he's saying to you, what do you have in your hand to give? Because that is what I intend to use to reach the tribes I've called you to, to reach the people I have designed you for. Let me tell you what I have in my hand. And it it hit me when Joel was speaking. I didn't even realize this. This is a lame story, but it's mine. 
I was bullied real bad. High school, middle school, elementary school. I was always mostly an outcast. Didn't fit in with any kind of group. Felt like I didn't belong to anybody. And I had like weird troubles at home. So I really felt like I didn't belong to anybody. And I always, I was a Christian as a kid and I was like, Lord, like why can't I just have a group? Like, why can't I just feel like I'm a part of somebody? Like, I don't understand why I always feel so outside. The Lord is healing and has healed that identity part in me, right? So I know I belong to him. And I'm being more convinced that I belong to him. But I didn't realize that that adversity that I went to positioned me to be in a similar adversity for the kingdom. Because now I have no problem being with the outcast. I have no problem being outcasted. I, I, don't, I don't need this. You, I love this, but I don't need this to secure me. So when he sends me into Pennsylvania that I've never been to where it snows, I say, well, this is my family. Let's do it. Here I am, you know? And he can continue to send me. I didn't, I hated that time. And I said, God, like, why is it like this? But that, he healed, and then he used that that's in my hand to push me into what he's doing. So some of the things in your hands will be tangible, literal things. You need to ask him about that. But some of them will be things that you've experienced, that have birthed something in you, that you have to give. So I'm going to pray because this is not preaching, it's closing. So I'm going to pray that the Lord will begin to reveal what's in your hand for you and that you continue to pray that throughout the rest of this series. And then the prayer team will pray for you if you need more of those prayers, okay? All right. Jesus, Jesus, we are a people who have said yes to you. We are a people who will continue to say yes to you. You have our yes, Jesus. Even in the pain, you have our yes. And in the celebration, you have our yes. And for those who feel like that's not their prayer, Lord, I pray that you'd move in their hearts that they might give you their yes today. They might give you their lives today, Jesus, because you're still accepting. There's no sin that can separate us from you, Lord. You're still accepting new family members every day. So I pray for those who have not come to know you, that they've come to know you today. And for those of us who know you, Lord, illuminate to us what is in our hand. What have you deposited in us, God, that we will use for your kingdom? I'm literally asking that you'd show us, like, right now as we're talking. Lord, as you reveal to us what you're giving us, teach us how to respond. Teach us how to wield it. Open doors that we need to walk through. Prepare our hearts, our bodies, minds, souls to walk through them. Lead us, Jesus. We bless you.